You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. Amen. All right. Well, we're starting a new series called Praise Him, the Praise Him series. And uh, for the time that we've uh, been here, I think, it, what have we been here? About 16 years now or so? How long has it been? 14 years. See, I was going further than what we really were. For the 14 years that we've been here at the church, I can say as far as part of a systematic theology or subject matter or a topical matter, we've never really gone into, if you will, uh, teaching with regards to praise. And how many know it's very important? We have the book of Psalms, which is all about praise uh, from the life of David. And so I thought that was very interesting. And that happens to be kind of one of the distinctives, if you haven't noticed, of this house. And so I would say that within the house, the reason why it is so strong that we're a people of praise is because of the internship. It's something that Pastor Wendy has taught uh, within it. In fact, when we are overseas as missionaries, it's a subject that she's taught. With, she's passionate about being a person of praise. So just know this. It's not because she's got a sanguine personality that we're upbeat and a people of praise. It's not personality driven. It's kingdom driven. And some of you will get that by next week. Uh, oftentimes people, uh, they view kingdom activity through cultural mindsets, and it shouldn't be that way. Come on, are you here? And so what we want to do is we want to unpack this so that it's something that not just leadership knows, or some, but it's that the church understands. It's probably, as I stated, one of the distinctives of this house. And for those of you who came into this church and you have an unchurched background, such as Jody, who gave your testimony, like this is normal to her. Now she's up here on the stage and she's sitting there playing the guitar. And so it's normal. She doesn't know any other type of church culture that there is. There are others uh, of you that are here. You come from a wide background, uh, from spirit empowered, say Pentecost hostile, charismatic background. Some come from an evangelical, more of a stiff background, maybe. Uh, there's others that have come from a reformed background also. So in the wide denominational of Christendom, the landscape that there is, there are many people that have different types of, I would call it, uh, praise cultural kind of theological outlooks. And so we want to understand that, and we want to take this and make it not about culture, but make it about kingdom. Uh, the, the quickest way to become very soulish and not spiritual is to make things of the kingdom and make them cultural and make them preferences. And this is the problem within the church today, especially out here in the West in a democratic society and culture, is that we oftentimes miss kingdom principles because we try to vet those through a democratic mindset. And you'll never understand these things. So we, we have to understand the power that there is in praise. And obviously, as the title states, we praise him. Number one, for his presence, for who he is, not just because I got something. And praise by its very definitions, we're praising him because we have something to thank him about. Uh, the quickest way you know a church is not life-giving is look at the praise. You'll get that by next week. If a church is full of praise, it's because it's thanksgiving for what God is doing. And if God isn't doing anything in the church, it's, it's not there because the people have nothing to praise him for. Come on, are you here? How many remember uh, when you were first born again, you are excited, you are like a billboard for Christ, and you witness to everything, and you are excited about the things of God, and then somewhere along the line, you sucked on lemon juice. Come on, are you here? And you, you ended up becoming religious and all that, but uh, if you recall your first love to Christ, you remember back when you were super zealous, and then somewhere along the line, we, we go, well, we're maturing in Christ, and oh, maybe you're becoming immature. 
because you're resting on a testimony of something that happened to you 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago, which is proof, but what is God doing today in your life? Come on, are you here? So we have to be a people of praise, not just the infancy of when we were born again. Come on, are you here? And so oftentimes within the church, and we've had it here, you know, I like everything, but could you tone it down? No, you could tone it up. Come on, are you here? You say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. I know you don't. That's because you're religious and you're not spiritual. You say, well, how do you know that? Because I remember the way you praised before Christ at the concerts. So you were, I remember me, I was part of that whole grunge thing and, you know, getting in the mosh pits with my steel-toed boots and going crazy and what have you. And, you know, some of you, when you were out in the world, you had no, pro, you had no problem praising for the wrong reasons, but now all of a sudden it becomes sanctified within the church and now you, you, you don't praise at all. Come on, are you here? Singing songs of nonsense. You had an incorrect value system. There's nothing wrong with giving praise. Just when you switch sources, your value system is sanctified. Come on, are you here? So anyways, we want to look into this. I'm getting ahead of myself. So in 2 Samuel, we're going to go through the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're not going to get all the way through that, but this is going to be a start of a series that I think will be very profitable to your spiritual life. Amen. So now let's look at this. Let's get right into it. It says this in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. David again brought together all the able men of Israel, 30,000. He and all of his men went to Bela in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is, watch this, enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the, the ark of God on a new cart, say new cart. You'll have to remember that. It says they brought the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abdinadab, which was on the hill. Then it goes on to say Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab. Aren't you glad we don't name kids that today? That would be a mouthful. It says they were guiding, watch this, they were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking, watch this, in front of it. David and all of Israel, which is the church, were celebrating. Now watch this. With all of their might before the Lord. And then it begins to list all of the instruments that were there. So the first principle that I want you to get right here is David and all of Israel, or the church, celebrated before the Lord, notice this, at the bringing of the ark. What you have to understand is the ark is the presence of God. So we see here that the ark is coming from the territory of the Philistines. They had captured it, and we'll look at this in the series uh, further on down the line. We'll get more into that. But as it's coming back into Israel, it's coming back into the church. When, isn't it a shame when the ark, when the presence of God isn't in the church? It's a sad day when we come together and we gather in the name of God, but you sense no presence. So we see here that when the ark is coming, and notice that the ark didn't do anything spectacular at the time. Whenever you see within the Old Testament, specifically within the Pentateuch, David absolutely would have known the stories with regards to Moses, would have known, for example, that when they crossed the sea to go into the promised land, they would have known that as they brought it, if you remember, 
the walls of Jericho. What was the battle plan? The battle plan was to march around and uh, in other places. What would they do? They wouldn't send the mighty men. They would send the priest with the ark to go before. What kind of battle plan is that? That's the battle plan of the Lord. It doesn't make sense to human uh, reasoning. And so we see that as the presence of God moved forward, the enemies would be scattered. Certainly, David would have known about these things. And so before there is any of these exploits that happened, before there was the cloud that we know that came in which the priests couldn't even do their duties, when all of these things, there wasn't anything that this ark was doing, if you will, there was nothing to give thanks except for the very presence of God is coming into the church. It wasn't based on what the ark had did for them. It wasn't conditional because I got something, I'm going to elicit praise. This is a mark of immaturity amongst sometimes within certain persuasions. We'll sit there and we'll dance and we'll be happy before him because God did something for me. But can you do that when circumstances seem to need not for you? Can you thank him, as the scripture says, in all things, not just because you got all you wanted? Are you here? I'm preaching better than you're responding. Spiritual people recognize, I give you thanks for what you've done, but I also give you thanks because of your presence, regardless of what I get in this transaction. We don't give praise just because we're a transitional Christian. That's a democratic and that's a kind of a consumer mindset. This is why in the church of God, this is why you have to have your your mind renewed, that you don't come here like an American cultured person who goes to the movies in order to get entertained. Mm -hmm. I can tell I'm going to step on some toes this morning. What happens when we come and we, like, we go to the movies and watch a movie? What is it? Entertain me. And oftentimes what happens is we come in through the doors with that type of a mindset, entertain me. That's why we have the lights and we have all these things because we want to make it appealing to the eyes. We put nice three-hour rated uh, chairs here so that it's cushy on your behind. And we want to make everything pleasant for you so that you can be entertained. But the question is, is are you a, a praiser? Are you a worshiper? Or do you expect everybody up here in, uh, uh, on the stage to do it? And oftentimes that's the mindset. We don't think of ourselves as praisers. We think of you doing the job for us. Come on, are you? Listen, the platform is higher because they're leading. But the fact of the matter is, is all of us is the church. The, 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 the cross at where it's planted is level and all men must come level before him. There's a hierarchy here on the platform physically, but in the spirit, God doesn't just look at their praises. He's looking at your heart and whether you're praising. They help lead you, but you have to be following if you're being led. This is why they're not entertainers. That is to say, I just look there and say, sing the right song. How come I don't have wrong mentalities and attitudes of the heart? Because God is a God of the heart. He inhabits the praises of his people. He doesn't inhabit the criticism of his people. Come on, are you here? This is why people get into preferences. And listen, I have my own personal preferences. Come on, are you here? We all have our preferences. But the, the issue is, is, can you be spiritual and not just cultural? Did you hear what I just said? Do you have the ability to discern the presence of God regardless of whether it appeases your cultural appetites? You see, as a missionary overseas, we've been to, you know, at least for me, a couple of dozen different nations, particularly through Southeast Asia. 
is a minister and is a missionary uh, preaching and teaching in Bible colleges and different venues and in church events and in various dips, uh, types of churches as well as uh, church denominations. There's all kinds of styles and flavors. Are you here? And when you're over, like, for example, in India, they're wow, wow, wow. I don't even know what chord progression that is. Come on, are you here? But I have the ability as a spiritual person to be in praise and worship and go beyond my personal American cultural preferences and say, uh, God, I sense your presence is here and I value your presence. Yes, that's good. And I don't exalt my culture above kingdom. We exalt kingdom above culture. Come on, are you here? So number one, David and all of Israel celebrated, notice this, before the Lord, not before man. So everything that he did, and as we begin to unpack in this chapter, we're going to find out nearing towards the end of this chapter, we know that there, were, uh, uh, there was a woman called his wife that despised him in what he did, and he made it a point to say, it was before the Lord I did these things. So in our American culture, we have to understand that the things that we do, not just up on the stage, but in the chairs amongst the common people, if I could term it that way, that everything that we do is before the Lord. That's why we have to be uh, conscious, God conscious, and not just man uh, conscious or self-conscious, I should say. Right. You're here. Well, why do we do this? And, and we become so conscious that we fail to understand that this is our opportunity to meet with God in the praise. And everyone says. So it goes on to say, did I read all the way to the end about the various instruments? No, I did not. So it says this, uh, who is enthroned between the cherub on the ark? They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. Uh, it continues on. I want you to notice all of Israel were celebrate with all their might before the Lord. And then it begins to list all of these instruments. OK, so they were praising God with also the instruments this is why we believe in instruments. Come on. Are you here? And you say, well, I don't play an instrument. Yes, you do. Or you at least have the capacity to. Why? What's the greatest instrument that you have? It's called the instrument of your voice. It's the instrument of your mouth. He inhabits the praises of his people. The greatest uh, uh, instrument is the instrument by which God inhabits it. You don't have to play the guitar. You don't have to play the drums. You have a voice. You have a voice box. You have something by which he enthrones the praises of his people. So the question is, is are you his people? Well, he enthrones your praises. I mean, did you ever take into consideration that high honor that we have as a people of God, that we have the capacity to give praise to him, and God gets drunk on the praises of his people, and he comes and he inhabits when we begin to praise him. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 5, we see here, again, Samuel, uh, uh, David, and all of Israel were celebrating, Gnosis, with all of their might not with half strength. So it shows us that David had a great value for the presence of God. Okay? He didn't do it. He valued it. And watch this. Listen to this. He did not become familiar with the presence of God. We live in a culture of despising, and we live in a culture by which we don't value the presence of God. Even in the New Testament, Jesus was in his own hometown. Ah, we know who he is. Ah, he's just a carpenter's son. You know, weren't they amongst us? Didn't we go to school with them? Didn't we see them shopping? Yeah, we, we know who he is. And what did they do? Not many mighty miracles or out, 
outburst uh, strength was manifest in his hometown. Why? Because they despised him in the heart. Why? Because they became familiar with him. Familiarity is the killing of the presence of God in your heart. This is why you know if you can discern the presence of God in the house of God when the people pray. I've always said this. You see, any life-giving church in which God is doing something in the church will always have a strong praise aspect to it. You see, it's easy to hide in worship. I know I'm going to offend somebody, but that's okay. It's true, though. You can sit there and close your eyes and do all the things that make you look spiritual. Put a smile, put your hands half-masked. Don't I look spiritual? The truth of the matter is, is I'm waiting for Betty Burgers. I'm hungry right now. And you got a smile on because you're thinking of pizza in my heart right now. Listen, you could hide yourself and no one know actually what's going on in your heart. God is a God of the heart and your motivations play an absolutely indispensable part of the praise that goes on. Come on, are you here? And so it's important that we understand that we see there that he celebrated with all of their might. In other words, they gave themselves recklessly. Why? Because David, leading the way for the church, had a high value for praise. Notice this, that in, and as we begin to unpack this, we're going to find out that they actually ended up becoming despised. By who? By the religious, but we'll get more into that. In fact, in the book of Psalms, verse 95, verse 1 through 3, did you know there's a protocol in which you come to God? I know it's, yeah, come as you are, and I agree with that. You come as you are to the Lord because, you know, you can't clean yourself up. He's the one who cleans you up, so come as you are. But once we have instruction from the Word, the Word has preeminence in our life and how He wants you to come to Him. Now, notice this in 95, verse 1 through 3. It's up here on the screen. Come. Let us sing for joy, not for depression. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Notice this, let us whimper. No. It says, let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him. Watch this. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is, is the great God. Watch this. The great king above all all gods. And as we begin to unpack this series, this is something also that we're going to look into is the spiritual warfare motif that we see in the Old Testament. And it absolutely is found when you bring it through the cross. As we get into the series more towards the end, we're going to bring praise that we see because we're going to examine it in the Old Testament because the things in the Old Testament are types and shadows of the reality that is found in Christ in the New Testament. So we're going to pull this through the cross and we're going to find there's no change. Okay, that which was natural, as we begin to see it spiritual, there's a spiritual warfare application and motif that we actually see within the New Testament. So we see here in Psalms chapter 100, verse 2, the same concept of the way you come to God is vitally important. Worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. Notice the involvement of spiritual warfare above all gods, coming before the Lord isn't sufficient. Listen very carefully. Coming before the Lord isn't sufficient. How you come before the Lord is of a great importance. In fact, two verses later, it is written uh, here in, in verse four. 
enter, watch this, enter his gates with thanksgiving. How do you come into the gates of that court right there? You don't come the way you want. Well, I got all my issues. No, you come in here with a certain protocol. Why? Because he's a king. I know he's, you want to make him a president in which he's elected and it's according to my terms. No, he's a king. Again, don't have a democratic mindset. You have to have a kingdom mindset. All the ancients would have understood this, that when you had a high-ranking natural dignitary, there were certain protocols. You didn't just come in the way you wanted to. So likewise, enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. Okay? So that means regardless of your situations and your circumstances, put those things aside. He's worthy of all thanksgiving. Not because of what he's done. Do you see? I'm elaborating. Regardless of what he's done, but because of who he is. He's worthy of it, period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So everything as you're being entered, uh, ushered into his course is all about giving praise to him. So the issue isn't, do you give praise when everything's working out in your best interest situationally and as far as circumstances, but when things aren't looking so good, when things are coming against you or things seem to be falling apart in your world, do you have the capacity as a spiritual person transcending being a cultural Christian? Can you be a kingdom Christian and give them praise in those times? Are you here? That determines whether you're spiritual or whether you're just cultural. We all can sit there and have irritations and irks and criticisms. Come on, that's the reason why they died in the Old Testament or in the wilderness. They're always criticizing for something. It's easy to be a critic. You're not prophetic to be a critic. All you need is two eyeballs and a carnal brain. There's always something to criticize. Come on, you're just, in fact, you're just part of the problem if all you are is a critic. Be a part of the solution. Be a spiritual person to be able to see from an eternal perspective as well as be able to see the situations you're going through are actually temporal and therefore that which is temporal should not determine your outburst of strength of praise to an eternal God who is our creator. Are you here? You see, he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And you have to understand there are three spheres, if you will, of kings. First kings of, uh, in kings in the uh, natural world, in what's called the first heavens. This is the natural world that we see. We have kings of the earth. Come on, are you here? We have kings throughout the earth. These are natural kings. But then there are also uh, kings in the second heavens. Okay, if you remember, you had the prophet in the Old Testament said, Lord, look at those who are for us versus those who are against us when you had kings go to battle. And so his eyes were opened up and he saw the chariots of God on the hillside. What did he have his eyes open to? He had his eyes open to the second heavens by which he saw that which was greater that was for them. So you have kings, if you will. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Ephesians that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and wicked spirits in high places. If you were, there are regional kings in the second heaven. So we have kings in the first heavens and we have kings in the second heavens. Come on, are you here? But the chief king of all kings, the king of kings, more specifically, the greater kings are in the second heavens over the first heavens, but the greatest is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the bright morning star. He is the lily of the valley. And to him and to him alone, 
He deserves all of our praise. And if we give honor to first heaven kings, how much more should we give honor to the third heaven's king, the creators of all the heavens and all the earth? You know, I spent some time in Mongolia. This was back in 2005. Uh, I believe it was in 2005 when we flew into Ulaanbaatar. Ulaanbaatar is the capital city of Mongolia, and half the population of Mongolia lives in that one city. And Mongolia is sandwiched between two powers, uh, hostile, hostile powers, uh, China to the south and Russia to the north. And back in 2005, as a missionary, we were going there, and I had just missed uh, two of our dignitaries uh, under the Bush administration. He was the uh, president at the time. And uh, Condoleezza Rice was our secretary of state. Uh, she was in there, as well as uh, Donald Rumsfeld, who was our secretary of defense. Both of them were there in Mongolia, and I happened to miss them. When I ended up coming there, we had President Bush that was going in there. So I happened to see his whole caravan and all the pomp and all the, if you will, the uh, uh, a red carpet treatment that was rolled out for our president. And you would be, sh I was shocked. And even, even in Mongolia, they'd never seen in which you had three uh, uh, high-ranking American officials, dignitaries that were there. And uh, what was amazing about this is you'd look up in the skies and we had our military that was there. You had your F-16s. They were cutting off the airspace from Russia to the north, as well as they had our planes down to the south, cutting off the, the air traffic from China. And it was like, it was a no-go zone because our president's coming in. They had helicopters all, uh, throughout Mongolia with these big sonars moving very slowly. And you thought, you almost thought, are, are we under military siege? I mean, it was really quite something. And I was like, there's my president's coming into town. You know, there was a sense of pie. All that, you could hear the, oh, the Mongolians obviously probably never maybe had that level of pomp come from an official. In fact, we had in the Bible college that we had there, uh, even when our president, before our president came, you, they did not land in the Ulaanbaatar airport. Outside of Ulaanbaatar, they literally made a whole airport just for our president to come in and to fly in. And uh, we ended up finding out that some of our students, they actually couldn't return back to school because when they agreed to do, to help build this airport, they weren't even allowed to leave because of the security risk there could be for those who are working and coming back. So they literally had to live at the place. Uh, I think for six months prior, all checkpoints, you had uh, you know, our uh, intelligence agencies there monitoring who was going in and out. In other words, there was all these security protocols and you saw all these people that you go, wonder why they are here. And, and there were all kinds of securities that were, were happening. And then finally, when, we had, uh, when he arrived, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating. I would say it was about 15 minutes of just watching the, the caravan of all the vehicles that were here. And uh, they even had a service announcements on the television as well as uh, there that if there was any wrongdoing against the president, they would immediately shoot you. And when I was told that by our Mongolian, our interpreters, I said, uh, they'll, they'll be shot if there's any wrongdoing. They said, yeah. And I said, well, what does wrongdoing mean? I don't know about you. That would be my question. What does wrongdoing mean? Like if I pull out a gun, I get it. But what if I go, uh, or I spit at him? Am I going to get shot? I mean, it was left to your determination what wrongdoing was. 
I was like, okay, well, I don't know. I just want them to see my hands, and I'm going to be saluting as they're going by. Just make sure they don't shoot me. <laughs> but notice, that, that's what happened. And in fact, they had the vehicles. They would push back the crowds with loudspeakers, and they were pushing the crowds back. Uh, they meant business there. There was no, well, I have my right to be here. There was none of that stuff. Any wrongdoing, you're done. <laughs> they were going to have honor, and they were going to have respect. But all that to say this. This was the level of honor that was shown by the Mongolians with one of our chief, as well as first, you know, the vice president would be second, but your secretary is Satan. This is the honor that was shown our dignitaries. And if we give this honor to natural kings of the earth and dignitaries, how much more honor should we give to the king of kings and to the Lord of lords? Yet we come in here with our attitudes and our personal prejudices and all these little, well, I think it should be done this way. And how come we have to sing this so long? Or I don't like this style of music. All this is total nonsense when you understand that we have the capacity. It's been given. It's been a great honor of ours to be able to give praise and to give worship to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. Your attitude is vitally, vitally important. You enter into his gates with thanksgiving. There's a way you walk before the king's. You know, even celebrities, what do they do? They call it rolling out the red carpet, okay? Something that's reserved for dignitaries. It's reserved for people of importance. But in a democratic mindset, we devalue and we despise and bring people down to our level. And unfortunately, uh, it's, uh, it's an unfortunate thing that sometimes we have that attitude in the house of God. And we wonder why there's no presence of God in the church because we devalue. Having the presence of God does not happen sovereignly. It happens because it's built. Did you hear what I just said? It doesn't just like, wow, God's here. He didn't just come sovereignly because you showed up. He did it because it's built. It's built in your mindset when you come into the house of God. I remember when we first got here and, you know, we were building the church and he would have some of our leaders and greeters. They'd be out there for a half hour chit-chatting. I'd be like, hey, what are you guys doing out there during the time of what is called praise? Oh, we're, we're just, you know, greeting people. I was like, nobody's here. I mean, they've already came in. If they're late, they're only about 10 minutes late. You're just sitting there chit-chatting. And it's like we had to have a, a nice counseling session with them to show, listen, we value, we come, and it's, that time was for then, but we've come to an appointed time in which we have to have a value of the praise. This is a ministry that they do, but we're all called to minister in the house of God and minister to the Lord. So there had to be a shifting of priorities even within the house of God. Yes, there is a time to meet and greet and to be social. Amen, come on, I think we're a social type of a people that are here. But then there's a time that we're, okay, we're here to praise God. I'm here for him first. That's not first. That time came and went. Now it's time to lift up our hands, to enter in his courts with thanksgiving, not sit there, be outside of his courts and do what we want to do out there. Come on, are you here? You have to have the right value system. And David had the right value system with respect to the presence of God. And everyone says, it continues on. In verse 6 to 8, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God. Because the oxen stumbled, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of the irreverent act. 
Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day, the place is called Perez Uzzah. Second thing, the ark, as I stated, represented the presence of God. That's why in Exodus chapter 25, verse 22, there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. So it was symbolic of the presence of God. Number three, the law required that the ark be carried on priests or Levites' shoulders. Where was it? It was brought on a cart. It was never intended to come on a cart. This was the people bringing it in according to an old paradigm of how the Philistines sent it to Israel or the church. So they had part of their theological construct of it worked for the Philistines, put it on a cart, let's put it on a new cart, and let's sanctify an old way. But God says, no, 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 no. You see, they had their minds thinking the way it worked for the Philistines rather than what does the law of God say. And the law of God says it's to be brought on the shoulders of a priest, not on a cart being led. That's why in Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, after Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishes and all the holy articles, uh, and when the camp is all ready to move, only then are the uh, Kohathites to come to do the carrying, but they must not touch the holy things or they will die. The Kohathites are to carry those things that are in the tent of meetings. You see, in fact, they weren't even permitted to look at it. So not only were they not to touch it, they weren't even to look at it. Notice the honor of the way everything was to be done according to the plan and the purpose of God. You see, when we come before him, we don't come the way we want. We come the way he wants. That's part of faith. So we see here in Numbers chapter 4, verse 20. This is five verses later. But the Kohathites must not go in to look at the holy things even for a moment or they will, what? Die. What is the problem that often we have? We would rather have praise and have a presence by which we don't carry it, but we would rather have a cart bring it in for us. It's called cart ministry. Do you have a caring ministry in which I'm a carrier of the presence of God? Why don't we like that? Because it requires something of us. We would rather have the people on the stage carry it for us. We would, isn't that what we're here for? Entertain us. What is that cart mentality? You see, it takes no work to lead a beast that's carrying the work that should be reserved for you. So just entertain me with cart mentality, and that's sufficient. This is why when you read this, how many have read this? I've read it and said, man, God seems to be kind of angry, like he just touched it. That's all there was. The question is, why didn't they know what the law required? What this shows us, 
bring it through the cross is this seriousness and the sobriety that we should have that we come the way he wants. And it's about our heart attitudes and our motivations. They just tried to sanctify an old way. They wanted to. Cart ministry is all about being religious. We're doing this. We're bringing it in. But are you bringing it in the way the way he wanted to? It's called caring theology versus cart theology. And sometimes within the church, we have cart theology and not caring theology. We would rather lead a beast which requires nothing from us because carrying the weight. Do you know glory literally means is weight? Ichabod is what the glory has departed. So when we're talking about the glory, we are to as we are all, according to Peter, a royal priesthood. So as a royal priesthood, just as in the Old Testament, they had obligations. So in the New Testament, we have obligations. We are to be carriers of the presence of God, which when we walk through the doors, what do we do? It's not about us. We become carriers of his presence as we begin to worship him, as we begin to praise him. We don't sit here with a mentality and bring beasts in through the doors with our lazy mentalities of let the people up on the stage be carrying the presence of God for us. Come on, are you here? Now, there's nothing wrong with that in the beginning. You're learning and you're training. But this is how we are to be a spiritual people. Cart mentality has all kinds of manifestations, if you will, in the way it, it operates. You know, it becomes into about cultural preferences. Again, that's the way it was in, in Philistine territory. But that's not to be the way it is in the house of God. Are you here? There's a certain protocol. Again, just as there were dignitaries of the earth, there's a certain protocol that there was. And this is the reason why we see something terrible that happens in which they're struck down. You're like, oh my goodness. It's to inform us today, don't come just the way you want to come the way he requests you to come. Again, you wouldn't come to your president of choice. And, you know, we've had two terms in which you probably hate one and love the other, or you hate the other one and you love the other one. But when you come before a dignitary, come on, there's a certain protocol and an attitude you have. You're not going to be casual with that. Well, how much more, not just in the office of being a king, but also in the essence of the person themselves. You know, even if you don't like the president or you don't like a king, you're still going to show reverence and you're still going to show honor because of what? Because of the office. Regardless of whether you agree, you're still going to, whether you agree in, 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 in administrations, you're still going to show honor and you're still going to show respect because of the office. Well, God in his office, we respect him, but Take it away. He's a good God. He's worthy of respect in the office and outside of the office. Come on, are you here? He's worthy of all the praise. How much more as this spiritual dignitary? He's the creator of the heavens. How much more should we give honor? And how much more should we give praise for his goodness in our life? And everyone says, I think we'll stop right there. Did you get something out of that? Why don't you stand to your feet? This is going to be good when we begin to unpack this. All kinds of things begin to happen. There's all kinds of things that we can see in here that have practical application. And I believe that in your life as you begin to implement this, not just in the church and the way you enter, but in your own personal devotional life with Christ. Come on, are you here? That as we implement the principles of praise, I'm telling you, it will set some of you free. Yes. 
I'm telling you, it will. You see, when you're overseas, you don't have, and this is something that I told the first service, you know, back in my day, we had what was called Walkmen. Say Walkmen's. <laughs> Anybody remember those things? You use the cassette tapes. We had those things, right? We didn't have Apple Play and Spotify and Pandora to where we could be anywhere in the world, download it on the phone and sit there and have it digitized. I mean, back when I remember when I was up in Nepal, I'd be listening to praise and worship. I think it was Hillsongs at the time, back in the 90s. I'd be listening to it, and my Walkman ate up that tape. It's like, oh, man. It's like, oh, and you have to sit there and try to wind it back up and everything. Like, anybody remember those days? Yeah. I just dated myself pretty bad. Man, not wise right there. <laughs> but soon as it's done, guess what? Do I have the ability to put my praise on? Whether I have a Walkman and a tape? All these amenities. You know, we take for granted the amenities that we have in the house of God. It's easy to just sit there and listen to something and help us, and it, it, it becomes supplemental, if you will. But it was never to, it's, it's okay to have a supplement, but it's not your primary. Come on, how many know vitamins? You can't live off vitamins. It's a, called a supplement. You're supposed to actually eat real food. And it supplements maybe the food that you miss. Well, so likewise, what happens is we flipped it in the house of God, and it becomes primary. And what happens is we fail to understand it's to be supplemental. So when I, when I was overseas, there were times that no instruments. I mean, come on, hello. You're, you're overseas. You don't have all these minis. Do you have ability to enter into his courts with praise, even though everything looks like there's no courts here to enter into? Are you here? It's true. Do you have the ability to be spiritual and be able to, no matter what the environment is, whether you are up in the hills of Nepal or whether you're in the jungles of the Philippines or in Malaysia or wherever it's at, or you're out in the tribal areas of Mongolia, do you have the ability out of the strength of your devotional life to sit there and be able to lift up your voice and attract the presence of God? But I don't have my hill song in my ears. So you're dependent upon those things. If you don't have Jarlene checking in, and listen, I know I just dated myself. I know there are other ones. You got Bethel and you got Mavericks and there are all these flavors of the month and I don't know who the flavor of the month is now. But nonetheless, are you dependent upon those things or out of the strength of your devotional life, do you come into the presence of God and can you have him minister to you because you've been ministering to him? I can tell you in some of the places you're having cultural shock because you're away from your family, you're away from your American mindset, and you're in another nation, you're having culture shock, and you're having spiritual shock because you're dealing and you're grappling with devils over there that you've never dealt and grappled with here in America. And so with all that, you better learn how to get your praise on. You better learn how to dance before the Lord when there is no music and when you got you know, cockroaches around and all kinds of things, and you don't have the amenities because Americans can be the biggest complainers when they're in third world nations. Why are you here? I'm telling you, I'm preaching better than you're responding. I can't, I mean, Americans, oh, brother. I can't believe this. Oh, my gosh, it's too humid here. Oh, I'm sweating a little bit here. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I don't have my shoes. Oh, my pantyhose, they got to run in them. It's like, what are you going to do when we have a prayer line and you got a bunch of people screaming out and need deliverance and you're rolling on dirt floor it's getting them free? First world problems in light of eternity are nothing. 
You need to come out of that. But this is why we're being cultured to be weak Christians with limited spirituality. It's based on emotionalism. Come on, I know all the tricks of the trade. Dim the lights during worship. Make it romantic. All these things that people do. Play a praise song, second song, not first, because you got to wait for the light. People who are late could come in and then have praise. These are all tricks that I've heard of. I don't implement these things. I think all these little things. And what is that? Being able to try to coerce people on an emotional level in order to have a spiritual response. And it doesn't just happen in Pentecostal churches, evangelical churches. Reformed churches, it happens everywhere. Let's put paintings up and let's put lights on them and let's elicit this type of an environment by hopefully in this cultural affinity that they have, we'll have a spiritual response. Try that in a Burmese jungle. I just didn't feel the anointing there. Yeah, right, you wouldn't know the anointing that knocked you down. Up in the Himalayas, when you're 8,000 feet up and you're lacking oxygen and you're staying in a hut that's full of hay with a stinky donkey underneath, can you sit there and raise up your hands and can you sit there? (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Or do you have to have your creature comforts in order to be spiritual? I'm telling you, Americans are so weak. I tell you, they're pitifully weak. Lord, help us. Because, listen, we're a nation that's actually called to the nations of the world. He places us as a city on a hill amongst the nations so that we would go back into the nations. But we become drunk on our own comfort, and we call it spirituality. Boy, I think I've been getting, oh, this is good. Praise God. Did you get something? All right, we'll get more in this. We'll unpack chapter 6 even more and uh, do that. You've been listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like more information about our house, please visit our website, fhus.org. Thanks again for tuning in, and please consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family. See you next time.